yeah? Um, Aiden and Joel, not Aiden, just, just Aiden was asked to go to the SCG on Friday. This has got nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a cool story. The SCG on Friday, um, because they were going to do a world record attempt for the, for the most number of kids in a cricket um, lesson. Darren Lehman and Peter Seidel were on the stage, and I had the privilege of being one of the dads and going out. And I've seen it on the SCG. It was a really cool experience. Looking around at all the grandstands, and like, I love cricket, and, and like the pitch, I was really surprised. Like, we were about 20 meters away from the pitch, but I reckon the pitch would have been, would have been about this high, and like 30 meters away would have been that high. So, when people are batting, they're up much higher. So, when they hit in the air, it's actually much higher than. I was very surprised by that. Is that just totally a waste of time telling you that story? Anyway, whatever. Back on track. Sorry, Kerry, move on. Oh, the garage, right. So, um, they uh, beat the world record, by the way, just for everyone's interest. Um, oh, a garage. So a couple of years into marriage, we had a garage at the back of our property. There was actually a weird garage because we had a cement slab, but it went over our property and the next-door neighbor's property. So they, and they had this garage that went over both properties with a wall down the center. One roof. It's a bit like a, a duplex, but a garage. It was weird. So we ended up knocking it down, cut the cement slab into two sections, and then I wanted to get a new garage. So I went and look, looked online. Alex, who do you used to work for one of those companies? Fair Income Sheds. It might have been them. And I bought a six meter by four meter shed. Big roller door, side door, really cool shed. Now, if you get them to put it up for you, it costs you about a thousand bucks. And you get two men come in one day, things done. I said, I reckon I could put it up myself. So thanks for the encouragement, Martin. Thanks for the encouragement. And so, I, and, and so I, uh, I, I gave it a go. It took me about three months, right? But I, uh, I got it up. And so as I was building it, it, it was built with three A-frames. There's like an A-frame at the front, and then halfway down, another A-frame, A-frame at the back. And so I had to set these A-frames up to begin with and put metal to hold them so they wouldn't fall over. And I picked up my dad's level. I had a couple of levels, this one and my dad's one. And I picked up dad's level, and I... And I wanted to make sure the A-frame was nice and straight. And so as I lined it up with the level, I said, that's right there. And then I got the other side right, and I got that one set. Then I walked backwards, and I had a look, and I went, hang on a second. That doesn't look straight. I grabbed the level again, lined it up, and this level said it was straight. I said, that can't be right. So I put this one down, and I picked up my level, and I lined it up. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, this is not straight. There's a problem with the level. And then so I, I, I then leveled it up with this level. And I took a step back and I went, that looks right. And then I measured the angles to make sure all the angles were right and the distances. And, and, and it turned out right and square. Now, here's the point. If I used this to determine what was right, my shed would have been wonky. But, it, but, but because I used this one to determine what was right, my shed was straight. The tool that you use can lead you down the wrong track. If you get the wrong tool, the measurement's out, you can have a wonky shed. And how does this relate to us? Well, in our life, we are continually making decisions about what is right and what is wrong. And my question to you today is, what tool do you use to determine what is right and determine what is wrong. One of the tools that we use is our experience. We go through experiences in life and 
depending on how we feel, depending on how that experience goes, we can go, well, that was right or that was wrong. Now, if we have a really good experience and a positive experience, we can go, well, that was good, therefore it's right. Or that was really hurtful and a bad experience for me, therefore that is wrong. But I want to suggest this morning that your experience doesn't always mean right's right. I, I, um, a few weeks ago, I went to, um, I had Alicia and I needed some babysitting. And I took Alicia to my parents' place. My sister Angela opened the door and she goes, Hello, Alicia. And Alicia says, Hello. And Angela says to Alicia, Alicia's my three year old daughter, for those who don't know. Wow. And, and um, Angela says to Alicia, Wow, Alicia, you're getting so tall. And Alicia responds this way She goes, My dad is really tall. <laughs> you all laugh. That's really nice. Thanks. See, from, from, from Alicia's experience, I am tall compared to her seven-year-old brother and nine-year-old brother and mum and cousins. I am really tall compared to them. But is that true? No. Oh, thank you, mum. But I'm not tall. But from Alicia's experience, what is right from her world isn't necessarily what's right. Another tool that you could use to determine what's right and wrong is what you've been taught, taught by teachers, taught by parents. And you think, well, because I've, taught, I've been taught this, or I've read it online, because I've read it, I've been taught it, therefore it must be right. Well, about um, in our first year of marriage, um, I was cutting the grass. Does everyone know what this is? This goes in the back of a lawnmower, doesn't it? Catches the grass, yep. And, and I was mowing the grass, and Michelle was at the back, and she said, Nathan, can you please, I can't remember what it was, and I said to her, I just need to empty the catcher. She goes, what? I need to empty the catcher. The what? The thing on the back of the lawnmower, the catcher. No, no, not a catcher, Nathan. It's called a catcher. I said, what? All my life, I've been taught for 27 years that it was called a catcher. My dad taught me that this was a catcher. And so in my first year of marriage, I have this life-changing experience where my wife teaches me that what I've been taught has been wrong. This is not a catcher. It's called a now, I shared this message last week at Liverpool, and Harvey, for those who know, Harvey came up to me and said, Nathan, it is called a catcher if you're in New Zealand. <laughs> Otherwise, it's called a catcher. See, what you've been taught doesn't necessarily mean it is right. Third one, the laws. They are laws of the land. Now, the government sets up laws for us, but do we determine what is right and wrong based on what the government says is right and wrong? Now, some of the laws are great. We have laws about road driving, left side of the road, speed limits, all that sort of stuff, they're all good. Even tax is good. Now, I know we don't like paying tax, but tax pays for roads, for hospitals, for people who need it. So they give us laws around that. The government gives us laws around theft. Yeah? But the government also says that it's not okay to murder, that murder's wrong, and that's good, isn't it? We like that one. But abortion... Well, that one's okay to a certain point. Now, that seems a bit of a strong contrast, and I want to also say, before we just write off abortion, is I think there may be, a, and I think there is an exception to the rule of no abortion, and I think the exception is where the mum's life is in danger. If, if this goes ahead, mum's going to die. I reckon that's a good reason for an abortion. That's my personal opinion. You might have a different one. But generally, abortion's not God's best. The law also talks around... Um, pedophilia 
and it says pedophilia is wrong, and we like that one, but it's okay for us to look at pornography. The government says this is wrong, but the government doesn't say much about that at all. Does the government determine for you what is right and what is wrong? Here's another one for you. Society's values. What you see with your friends, your neighbours, what they say in the media. Does society's values determine for you what is right and what is wrong? Because society tells us lots of things. Society tells us what we can wear. And if you look at what ladies were wearing 100 years ago, which was to here, to here, <laughs> compared to what ladies wear now, I'm not complaining about what ladies wear now, but things have changed. I was, I'm going to complain about this. I was walking down, I was at the beach a couple of Fridays ago, I was down at South Cronulla, and these girls, three ladies, maybe in their 20s, 30s, were walking along the promenade in bikinis with little G-strings. And I was like, holy dooly. Didn't, I didn't expect that. And now, and then, is that okay? And society will most probably say, yes, it is okay to do that. Society can tell us what's appropriate language to use and the way we speak. Society points to us, well, it's okay to say that in this situation, but in this situation you can't. They tell us about consumption of alcohol and what's appropriate. Society tells us around attitudes and what attitudes are okay in a certain situation. Friends, what, do you use the tool of society values to determine what's right and wrong? Or is it Netflix? I've had Netflix for a month. And Netflix is good when you're babysitting kids. You just put it on and they just watch it all day. So that's really bad parenting. But e- easy when mum's not home. Just I can do what I need to do. But I've been watching this, uh, this, this uh, TV show called, um, and I've stopped watching it. I'm going to make that clear. Stop watching it called House of Cards. Now, I'm into Congress, I like, I like politics, and I find it interesting, and I started watching this House of Cards TV show, because it's all about a guy's moving up the chain to vice president and become, wanting to become president and stuff, and it was interesting, but every now and again, there were these scenes that were just shocking, like shocking, shocking, shocking. And as a result, I've, 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 I've chosen to stop watching that show because of these shocking scenes, it's just ridiculous. Do you work out what's right and wrong by what you see on Netflix? Does Netflix define, well, if they're doing on that happens on that show, therefore it's okay? Because if you do that with this House of Cards movie, well, this, this House of Cards TV show, you will get to the place where you think revenge is okay. You will think it's all about power and position. You will think that having sex with whoever you want to have sex with for pleasure is okay, or having sex to gain information is okay, or threesomes is okay, or drug use is okay, or throwing people in front of trains is okay just to have power. Shocking. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Do you use Netflix as a guide for you to determine what's right and wrong? Here's the the last one. This is where we want to land this morning. This is the one that I suggest should be the way we determine what is right and wrong. And it's God's Word, the Bible. Friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're someone who follows Jesus, this should be our tool to determine what is right and what is wrong. Look what it says about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed, God-spoken, 
God, by His Spirit, help the writers write down what, what they wrote down. And He's useful, what for? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness means what is right in God's sight. So this tells us what is right in God's sight, verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This Bible determines from God's perspective what is right and what is wrong. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what, what right does God have to tell me how to live? What right does God have to determine for me what is right and wrong for me? Well, let me give you some examples to answer that. If you start a business, has anyone started a business before? A couple of you guys have started a business. If it's your business, do you have the right to design your business and to determine the direction of the business? Is that your right as the person who created it and started it? Yeah. If you build a house, do you have the right to design the house? And, and once you're in, the colours of the walls and where the furniture's going to go and where the fridge is going to go and what room's going to be used for what? The answer is yes. And if you have a baby, a child, and, 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 those childs, and that little child is in your care, as they grow, don't you have a right to instill your values into that child as they grow up? And the answer again is yes. And just like those analogies are true, it's also true that God is the one who made us, who made the universe, who made this earth. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who sustains it. He's the one who owns it and designed it and made us. And therefore, he has the right to determine what is okay and what's not okay. He has the right to determine what is right living and what is wrong living. He gets to determine what is righteousness. And if you're a Christian here this morning... We've got to take that really, 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 really seriously. And it shouldn't be our experience, and it shouldn't be social values, and it shouldn't be Netflix, it shouldn't be what the government says, it shouldn't be what, what we've been taught. It should be the truth of the Word of God that sets up for us what is right and what is wrong. There's a passage in, uh, in uh, where is it, Romans chapter 12. It says, Do not conform. Do not be like a sheep. Do not copy. Do not be like the pattern of this world, talking about how people live, but rather be transformed. Be transformed. Be different. Think differently. Be, live differently by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How does this work? Well, friends, there's, there's this expression that, that I like to say, you become like who you hang around. If you hang around Alex, you'll become like Alex. It's funny, um, when you marry someone, that over time you start to become more and more like your partner. And everyone, oh, how did that happen? Oh my goodness, how am I like that? That's a positive way in lots of things, yeah? You become like who you can hang around. And the truth is that if you hang out with Jesus, if you hang around Jesus, you become like him. How does Jesus speak to us? He speaks to us like David said, through dropping words into our head. But the main way God speaks to us is through his word. And as we open his word and as we hear his words, as we eat, as we chew on, as we meditate on his word, we start to understand how God thinks. And then our mind starts to be transformed because it's being renewed as we start to get God's truth into our mind. And as we get that into our mind, we start to think like God. We start to act like God. And then 
when situations happen in life, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, because we know him where, and we're like him, because we've been with him. You know, Jesus was not a conformer. He, he was definitely a transformer. Oh, not really. He was, he, was, he was the man that God wanted him to be. And I want to give you two examples of that. The first is around the people that he hung out with. Society at the time of Jesus had a big class system. If you're a Pharisee, you were the elite. Like if you're the religious leader, everyone looked up to you. And then they had men and they had women and they were Jews. And then if you're a Gentile, you were lower than that. But he, and then you're a Samaritan, well, that's maybe worse than a Gentile. And then if you're a sinner or a prostitute or a tax collector, you're at the very, very bottom. And there's this big class thing going on. And if you lived in that society, if you conformed to the pattern of the world at the time of Jesus, well, then you'd always work out where people are at and then try and look up and try and be like and, and you choose to hang out with. But Jesus never did that. We read over and over again in the Gospels how he had meals with all of them, all together, all the different classes, if you like, got them all together and just loved on people. He didn't follow what the world said. He did it God's way. Another example is in John 2 where we have the story where Jesus goes to the temple and they're selling stuff like a market and Jesus overturns a place. Let me read it to you. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, this is really important, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Did you read that bit? In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now, the, uh, the uh, temple wasn't just like one building. The temple was much bigger than that. You had the building with, with the holy place where the priest could go. And inside that building, the second room was the most holy place where the priest could go once a year. Then you had outside of that, you had the uh, place for the uh, Jewish people to go. And then outside of that, the massive area was the court of the Gentiles. So people who were Gentiles, that's people who weren't Jewish background, could come and worship God. And in that massive area, court of the Gentiles, like a soccer field big, maybe, I don't know how, about, about a soccer field big, right? They would have, they set up a market. And they had people who would sell the animals that were sacrificed. In the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice animals as a way of worshipping God, as a way of covering over sin. It was, it was, it was about um, a cost um, as they worshipped God out of, out of the goodness of their heart to honour Him. And so they were selling cattle and they were exchanging money. Now the thing about the cattle was this, that people would come in an attitude to worship God and they had to use those animals and they would get their money and that they would buy those animals but the people who received the money who owned the animals charged them exorbitant amounts of money it's a bit like going to the Easter show and buying a packet of hot chips just rip off yeah rip off well that's what they were doing you would instead of paying 10 bucks for a goat which you would down the street they were charging 20 like they were just ripping people off so People with a, with, with, with a desire to worship God were being ripped off by people who were making benefit out of that worship. Fully dodgy. And then the money changes. Now, at the time, 
you couldn't get, because everyone used Roman coins, you couldn't get the Roman coin and offer that at the temple. You had to exchange your Roman coin for the Jewish coin. And it wasn't like one for one. It was like I'd bring my one dollar, but they'd only give me 80 cents back. They were ripping them off. Again, people coming with this attitude to worship God with their finances and these people in the market were getting a cut, ripping people off in their act of worship. Now, at the time, they just thought, everyone thought it was normal. Society thought, well, that's how it is. That's what we do. But Jesus didn't conform to that pattern. He saw it differently. He saw it from God's perspective. And as a result, overturned the tables because he said, this is not a market. It's not about abusing people. Friends, what tool do you use? What tool do you use to determine what is right and wrong? Jesus knew his father, he knew the Old Testament, and he lived that way. Do you use Netflix? Do you use what social media says? Is it what social values say, or is it the scriptures that determines for you what is right and wrong? I want to talk to you on a topic that's a bit sensitive, and it's in the media um, a lot, and we might have to vote on it one day, and it's around this topic of same-sex marriage. I want to talk about that for a few moments because we haven't talked about it yet. I think it's important to talk about. What's your view on same-sex marriage? Is it the biblical view or is it another view? The media and what society will try and say to us is that same-sex marriage is okay and it's normal. And we see this on the television shows like The Modern Family where there's the modern, modern families now have same-sex couples. They're trying to normalize it. You look at The Block, a same-sex couple on the last series of The Block. The media is trying to say same-sex couples is normal. They use um, a phrase which is so clever. They call it marriage equality. How do you argue with that? Someone asks you, do you you agree with marriage equality? Well, of course I agree with marriage equality. You don't have one husband abusing his wife or the wife abusing them. They're they're equal in that marriage and they're called to love each other. You can't argue with that. But they've used this term because they're trying to make marriage normal. That's what what the media and society is saying. And and, and you might even have an experience of of knowing a same-sex couple. And you might look at their relationship and you go, wow, they're loving each other. They're serving each other. Actually, they love each other more than this man and wife couple that I know abuse each other over there. That might be your experience. And so if you have that view, you might be thinking, well, is it that bad really? Because they're loving each other, marriage equality, well, and it's normal. That's what the media says, so it must be okay. But friends, that's not what the scripture says. And before I go any further, I want to say that we need to love people who have same-sex sex. Same-sex sexual orientation. That's a big way to say, isn't it? We need to love people. We need to respect them. We need to honor them. We need to get alongside them, support them. We're not to pull them down. We're not to... We're called to love because God loves all people. But we don't have to necessarily agree with their behavior. And if you come to the scriptures, you'll read in Genesis 1 that, that the Bible says that a man, Genesis 1.27, that a man will leave his... I think it's 1.27. may not be 1.27. might be Genesis 2. I think it's just Genesis 2.23. A man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. 
Some will say, well, that's the Old Testament, but that's actually what Jesus said in the Gospels when he talked about marriage between a man and a woman. And if you read through the Old Testament, you will see that homosexual behavior is, is, is declared as wrong in the Old Testament, and it's also declared as sin in the, in, in, in the New Testament. And so we have a choice to have a view of same-sex marriage that the world tries to show us, or we can choose what the Bible says is right and wrong. What tool do you use, friends, to determine what is right and wrong? What tool do you use? Because it affects the clothes that we wear, it affects the way we speak, the way we act, our view on marriage, it affects every area of our lives. Now, before we finish, in James 1, it says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So my question is this, do you choose what is right? See, we have this book, and friends, if you've been a Christian for a short amount of time, you're not going to know heaps of stuff in this book, and I want to say that's okay, you're on a journey. But if you've been a Christian for some time, and, 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 uh, and uh, you know what, what, what God wants from your life, are you deliberate in pursuing the things that God wants for your life, or do you simply ignore them? I went to the US in October last year, went and visited 15, 13 churches in 13 days, something like that. We went to a church in uh, Phoenix with a pastor named Lynn Winters, an amazing guy, and he spoke about church leadership, he spoke about our church, and he says, you want to have people in your church who don't yet know Jesus. He goes, you must have them, because they're the, they're the people that are, God wants to reach for the gospel, and we're going to preach to them and help them come to know God. So you want them in your church. And he, but, but then he spoke about the our next group that are like, um, really, pursue, anyway, whatever. Then he broke up um, Christians into two groups, and I'm going to use Aussie language. He broke them up into, number one, the fair-dinkum believers. He called them Bible for Bible. What does that mean? People who read the Bible and do what the Bible says. People who read the Word and go, this is right, and I'm going to be fair-dinkum about following the Bible, and I'm going to live it out. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. The Bible says it, I believe it, I'm going to do it. He called them the fair-dinkum believers. It choose, the, choose what Scripture says. But then he also talked about this group, and I thought it was a brilliant name, selective believers. People who know what the Bible says, but then choose which ones they're going to follow and which ones they're going to ignore. Are you a fair-dinkum believer this morning, or are you a selective believer this morning? Are you a fair-dinkum believer where you know what the Bible says on an issue and you're deliberate to obey it? Or are you a selective believer where you know what the Bible says on an issue, but then you'll make a decision whether to obey it or not? Now, for me, I think it depends on the day. Some days, fair income, but other days, maybe not so well. Are you fair income or are you selective? At morning tea, I went and asked a few people, fair income or selective? Selective. Fair income or selective? It depends on the day. Fair income or selective? Selective. I'm, I'm being honest, Nathan. That's good you're honest. Fair income or selective? Let me, let me help you. Let me help you. The Bible says that when people hurt us, we are to forgive them. The Bible says that, doesn't it, very clearly. So, on forg- when, when people hurt you, are you deliberate in forgiving them? Okay. 
Are you a fading? If, if you are deliberate in forgiving them, you're a fading believer in this issue. If you hold a grudge, well, then you're being selective. Ooh, is that personal? We like to get real in this church. It's, we're getting real right now. How about this one? The Bible says in our finances that we are to be generous with our giving. Our money, we're to be generous and give it. Do you do that? If you do, you're a fair income, but if you don't, you're selective. What's your view on marriage? Is it the biblical view? Or is it any version that the government like world says is okay? In this area, are you fair income or are you selective? Now, if you're new to Christianity, and friends, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, man, it's wonderful to have you here. We want you here. We, this church is designed to have you here. We want to see you live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus has for your life. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not speaking to you right now. Because if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll have different views. And I want to say that's okay right now. I'm speaking to the Christians who have chosen to follow Jesus as Lord, who have chosen to come under his authority and under his rule. I'm speaking to you guys right now. Are you fair income? Are you selective? How about alcohol? Do you get drunk? If you know the bowl doesn't want you to get drunk and you get drunk, you're selective. How about telling rude jokes? Are you selective or are you fair income? How about looking at pornography? Are we selective or are we fair income? Selective or fair income? Friends, God wants fair income believers. And, 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 and when we get to an area of our lives where we recognize that we're selective, we're called to repent, which means, God, I've, I've messed up. I'm sorry. I want to follow you. I'm going to choose your way. I'm going to be fair income in that area of my life. So friends, what's one area of your life where you're selective this morning? What's one area? This is, not, I want, this is rhetorical. I don't want you to tell me, but I want you to think about this and process this and invite the Spirit of God. To speak to you, what's one area of your life where you're a selective believer this morning? Where you know what God says, but you're choosing not to do it. And now repentance is recognizing it's wrong, but then working out how to live differently. So here's the next question. What are you going to do differently? What are you going to do differently? You know, when uh, God looks at our lives and we get to the end and he gets at his tape measure, not that he has a tape measure, but stick with the tall analogy, and he measures our life, do you know what he compares it with? Do you know what's right? Might say the scriptures, that's true, I suppose. In Romans 3, it says, all have, all, have, all have sinned and fallen short of the what? The glory of God, the wonder, the perfection, the holiness. The, God wanted us to, to be like him, if you like, to live like he lived, to make choices like he lived. And as we measure our life compared to him, wow, the measure, measuring tape doesn't go far enough. There's this massive void between the glory of God and how we've lived our lives. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. 
who, who, who covered the gap, who didn't only cover the gap, he, 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 he grabs a hold of our stuff, our wrongdoing, and puts it on himself. So that when God looks at us, he sees us through the glasses of Jesus and he sees us like his glory. He sees us holy and blameless in his sight because of how Jesus has dealt with our wrongdoing and given us a new life. You know, because we have so fallen short of the glory of God, because we've so fallen short, the Bible says that we are under God's wrath. The Bible says that we deserve death and hell in eternity forever. The Bible says that we are separated from God. But because of Jesus, and if if we come to him today, and we ask him to forgive us for our sin and make him Lord of our life, he takes, Jesus takes God's wrath upon himself. Instead of us being, God being angry with us, he's angry with Jesus. Instead of us being out of relationship with God, Jesus brings us into relationship with God. And instead of us being sentenced to death for eternity, Jesus took the death sentence when he died on that cross for me and for you. Friends, we don't measure up, but by the grace of God we do. As Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, God looks at you and he goes, Wow, you're awesome. Because of what Jesus has done for you. If you're here this morning, and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus, or you did once and you're far from God, and you want to get your heart right with him, we're going to pray, and I invite you to pray this prayer after me, everyone together. This is a prayer to commit your life to Jesus. I encourage you to pray it after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you just become a Christian, welcome to the family, and we as a church want to help you in that journey. We're going to close in a moment, but I'm going to invite the worship team to come and stand with me up here. Thanks, guys. And maybe this morning, friends, there is something that God's done in your heart Maybe God's put his finger on something this morning around being a selective believer or an area of your life that that God wants to shake up. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to come and pray. We had a number of people come in the first service to come and pray so that God can break through some of those walls, some of those things that we're holding on to. If you pray that prayer to, be, to, to, to become a Christian, I invite you to come forward as well, and one of these guys will pray with you and chat with you. That'd be awesome. But as we close, two questions for this morning. What tool do you use to determine what is right and wrong? And my hope your tool is the scriptures. And the second question is, do you choose what is right? Do you choose to live out what the scriptures say? I'm going to pray. I'm going to close. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus to come under your word. And Father, the reality is the world throws us lots of things about what is right and what is wrong. But God, your word says that we're not to conform or be like sheep to that, but rather we are to stand on your truth of the word of God, which declares what is right and what is wrong. 
Help us, God, to be fed income believers, people who read your word and are active in doing it and not selective, where we pick and choose what we're going to do. God, we pray you'll convict us, you'll show us what is right, and that you will empower us, God, to be the people that you want us to be in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Joel, can you wax up music on for me? And friends, I invite, if you want prayer, to come and stand with one of these awesome people around something that you've heard, another area of your life. I encourage you to get prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward for prayer.